Coming to you from New York City. This week and every week, it's the Ben Kissel Show. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Ben Kissel, as always, with Mike Coscarelli. Thanks, Mike. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. How was your Thanksgiving? Very good, Ben. All right. Very nice. I ate a lot of turkey. Oh, actually, you know what? Truth, I didn't eat anything. I got drunk. Uh, I got too drunk off a of whiskey, and I forgot to eat. That was my Thanksgiving. Anyway, very exciting. We got this guy. He's with us, and he's tall, and he's handsome, and he has red hair. You would you would think we were the exact same person, uh, only he was a uh, writer for the uh, Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, and I was not. Luke Cunningham is here. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Thanks for being here, Luke. Thank so, you for having uh, me. Uh, absolutely. So you're a stand-up comedian. You're a writer. You do a whole series of things. You've been to an open mic recently in Philadelphia. Your career is taking off. Just, yeah, hitch your wagon to my <laughs> rising star. That's right. I can get you into all the best open mics in the Philadelphia area. You're from Philly, huh? I am from Philadelphia. And you enjoyed uh, you enjoy that place? Yeah, I think Philadelphia is... Uh, Maybe America's most underrated city. Why do you say that? A lot of people don't like them because they throw batteries, uh, batteries at All Santa right. Claus. So the can, Pope came through there and messed up traffic. You wanted to? I'll debunk that story right now. One, oh, let's do the debunk. One, they didn't. They didn't throw batteries at Santa Claus. They booed Santa Claus. Uh-huh. They threw batteries at JD Drew. Two totally sep- <laughs> separate incidents <laughs> that you're combining in one act of just overall thuggery. Who's JD Drew? JD Drew was a uh, sounds like. A bizarre uh, R&B singer. No, well, pretty close. He uh, he was the producer for SWV. No, he was the uh, he was a first round draft pick from the Philadelphia Phillies in 1997. Okay, and he refused to sign there because he just didn't like the Phillies. And at the time, I mean, you couldn't blame him. They were like a terrible organization. But the next time he came in with the St. Louis Cardinals, mm. he held out for a year and then was redrafted. And when he came back to play right field for the Cardinals. Just the way the stadium was built, like if you were up so high that you could throw a battery and get near <laughs> JD Drew from like the third level. So what which you probably got with like a pack of hot dogs, you got your tickets anyway, and, and then you get a free Duracell uh, battery. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that that's that makes total Philadelphia sense. So you're blaming it on the stadium. Is I'm that blaming you're, it. So I'm, you're you're if you're in the stands, you're like this. The seats are just too perfect for me not to throw a battery. So I have to throw it. It would be against God if I don't throw the battery. Oh, I'm blaming it on JD Drew. Oh, I see. JD Drew deserved to get hit with a battery. The Santa Claus. Did they actually booed. hit him though? Did they hit? Oh him? yeah, like a couple people that got near him. I think somebody might have like hit him in the leg, and he was he was mad about it. Yeah, I think he would be. Yeah. Um, the the booing Santa Claus. Uh, it was n- like 1970. It was the end of a terrible Eagles season. Yeah. And they were playing at. Uh, I think they were playing at. It might even been the 60s. So they were playing at like uh, at Franklin Field, their old stadium. And they were like, hey, at halftime, here's Santa Claus. <laughs> and they brought out some 17 year old kid who was like six foot four and 155 pounds, <laughs> wearing like a tight red vinyl, you know, like half ass Santa suit. Yeah. And like, you know, maybe some cotton balls like glued together as a beard. And so the place booed, <laughs> but they by proxy were booing the Eagles for just being so cheap and so terrible. Right. <sighs> Sorry, they were not booing, you know, Chris Kringle. Like they were booing the Eagles. But right. they did, they threw snowballs at him, didn't they? <laughs> Isn't that the story? Totally different incident. There. Another, oh, another okay, incident. Okay, Mike, we ha- okay. we'll get, we'll, we'll yeah. get all of them. Those were the Dallas so, Cowboys, and they actually threw snowballs at Michael Irvin 
after he, when he was being uh, carted off on a stretcher. Uh, oh, very nice. I mean, the seats are just too good not to throw snowballs at an injured player. Do you guys have you ever had really great seats? Sometimes you get excited. Right. You step outside of yourself. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm. I mean, I'm all about it. Are you a full Philadelphia sports fan? Yeah. And, and you enjoy the culture, you embrace the culture, even though it's almost like, you know, it's interesting what happens with uh, what, what becomes normalized in society. So you go to like a Donald Trump rally, what is normalized there is not going to be, uh, you know, a behavior that will be accepted at a Bernie Sanders rally, for example. So what's normal in Wisconsin, where people just are constantly uh, taking their shirts off in negative three degree weather, painting themselves green and gold, wearing cheese on their heads and cheese whiz on their chests and constantly drunk. This is normal for Wisconsin. But in Philly, do you feel like there is a culture of overall rage? Yeah, there's definitely... Uh, is it because you feel like the bastard city of New York, you never get respect? I th- I think that might be a small part of it. I, th- I think it's more just a matter of, uh, you know, like the Jets have this same element of awful people. No, but the Jets, but the Jets, I will say, in defense of the Jets fans, they are properly self-hating. The Jets, the, they, the Jets fans hate the Jets more than anyone can hate the Jets. They okay. despise their own team that because is true. they've constantly failed them. Yeah, the the but the but Philly fans seem to love their team and are constantly uh, just at rage with the opponents. They don't really do they get upset with their own Philly. Uh, I feel like Philadelphia fans love the the Eagles like a like a cousin who can't get off of heroin where right. you're just like you're you're always hopeful where you're like hey you know he's taking correspondence classes and you're like all right he's finally gonna do it that's awesome and that's the eagles after they trade for sam bradford and you're like maybe maybe we got it this year and then you know like three months later he you find out that he stole your flat panel tv and hocked it right and he's, you no one has seen him in two and a half months and yeah that is that is the relationship with the eagles where you're just like god damn it right back on the smack yeah that's for sure but philadelphia as a city is one of the best planned urban areas in america and, you know, people always say that about Philadelphia, one of the best planned urban cities in America. And, you know, what a simple thing to put on a bumper sticker. Absolutely. Wisconsin is America's Dairyland. And city Philadelphia of, is city of best properly laid out infrastructure and grid Man. system. And they just, you know, they're like, we'll just say brotherly love. No one knows yeah. what that means. We'll just abbreviate it that way. You got to meet our city planner. <laughs> what an exciting day that'll be. Benjamin Franklin. Isn't that something? Yeah. And I like Benjamin Franklin, a good fat man who wanted to make the, the national bird the turkey. And I think he should have gotten his way. Also, love the ladies. Yeah, and the ladies loved him. Yeah, he always had he always had a lot of buckles. LL Cool B. Yeah. Did you grow up with a lot of cash? No. You grew up super poor, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, you know, a lot of people think that when you're white and you're a, a, a male, then you just, you, you're just granted a whole series of things at birth. Oh, dude, I have the resume of like a senator's kid, but grew up like, you know, cave fed, like grew up like a backup dancer. Yeah. Yeah. I went to college on a pile of financial aid. That's great. Yeah. What'd, What'd you go to college for? Uh, I got a degree in history. Oh, and what a lucrative job! Uh, you know, you could get from that. Yeah, you could do. You could go as. You could be a history teacher. Uh-huh. So, um, <laughs> so you didn't grow up very wealthy, and and you fell in love with comedy at a young age. You wrote for the Jimmy Fallon show, the this Tonight Show. Yeah. And uh, did you now? We were talking a little bit in the basement. Now you've quit that job because you said there's no upward mobility. 
there's nowhere no, to I go. Didn't, I didn't. And there's just it's a very uh, the the infrastructure in uh, the Tonight Show is such that the show is never getting canceled. And yeah, that's one of the hardest things to find in entertainment is a show that is never getting canceled. So right. Once you're you're there, you're kind of locked in. So um, to you know, if I wanted to move upward in my career, mm-hmm. I'd have to go someplace else. You got to go someplace else. You got to so do your own thing. How long? How many years did you write for the uh, Tonight Show? Three. Three I years. wrote for when it was late night with Jimmy Fallon, then it transitioned into the Tonight Show. Oh, you followed him all the way there. I did. And you like Jimmy Fallon? He is a wonderful guy. Now, there's a lot of news that he's a raging alcoholic, and I like him more every time I read one of those stories. Do you think it's true? Did he have a drinking problem? Uh, no. Um, he's not a booze hound? No. You would. It, it, he is like the de facto mayor of New York. Like it, you know, There were very <laughs> few times we would go hang out with Jimmy, but when you would, it would just be, it was like being in a parade that you had no intention of being in. Like, you would yeah. just walk and just people screaming Jimmy everywhere, and you would walk in and people would just be trying to, like, send him shot. Like, if he, if he took a percent of a percent of every drink that mm-hmm. somebody bought him in this city and sent over, like, he'd still be, like, by any standard... Uh, a drunk like the guy does not he has to do that job five days a week like just by virtue of drinking like a percent of a percent of a percent of every free drink that someone gets him like that's a teetotaler percentage that would shame Romney you know what I'm saying like he does not booze constantly I mean it's very difficult when a fan buys you a drink we just did a show for the last pad uh, podcast the last podcast on the left we went down to Washington DC and we met a bunch of great fans and that's the thing they keep on buying you shots I'm so tall they say make it a double and I'm like absolutely I, I refuse to say no to a friendly shot and by the end of the night yeah, you know you're I time mean, traveling oh it's it's pathetic and I'm too tall to be that drink I'm falling over taking out half the bar it's a yeah, nightmare nobody can carry you home no absolutely not just me so, oh my God! I can't wait for that experience. Could you imagine that piggyback ride? Mm. Just four hundred and eighty pounds of dude. Yeah, just a lot of flesh there on other f- mounts of flesh. <laughs> just a ginger Voltron. Mm. People would absolutely love it. Yeah. So, how did you uh, end up getting the uh, the job in the beginning with uh, with late night? And because I mean, a lot of people aspire to this career, which is so bizarre to me—not bizarre, but um, realistic. I guess it brings a, you know a level of realism to uh, fantasy. People are like, "I want to write for late night. What a dream come true that would be!" You wrote for late night, the most popular late night show, and I want to talk to you about late night shows in general and see if that structure can exist in the future. Because uh-huh. I mean, it's such an old uh, you know way of television. Um, to present entertainment, but uh, what was it that? Um, how, how did you end up getting that job in the first place? Oh. You just submitted a packet because there's a lot of writers, a lot of uh, you know aspiring comedians who are constantly submitting packets. They go nowhere. You just throw them out into the ether, and they're never heard from again. So you were mentioning like I, I fell in love with comedy from a young age. Uh, when I was in third grade, uh, we did the "What are you going to be when you grow up?" and uh, I had watched. Uh, Amy's Evening at the Improv that was hosted by Greg Luganis. It was yeah. hosted by Greg Luganis. There was, there was one episode that was hosted by Greg Luganis. The the diver yeah, who banged diver. his head yeah. and he had the HIV. Yeah, yeah. and uh, what I wrote when I was in third grade was, uh, "I'm gonna uh, when I grow up, I'm gonna be on A and E's Evening at the Improv with Greg Luganis." That's so <laughs> funny. I was my goal was to grow up and probably make like you, you probably made like three hundred dollars for doing that spot and maybe nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, if that. 
Um, now, did Greg Louganis, when you watched that, did we know about the AIDS? Or I think that might have come out later. And then it came out afterwards. Isn't that something? Yeah. So you always knew that you wanted to be a writer. I always knew I wanted to be a comic and a writer, yeah. Did you like, what was it about writing that you enjoyed so much? Because, you know, I mean, I, I, I can write. I have fingers, and then I know how a computer screen looks like and stuff like that. But, you know, it's tough to get that instant satisf- uh, satisfaction from writing. You have to write it, and then somebody has to read it, and then they can come back to you and let, the, uh, let you know what they think. But as opposed to a stand-up situation where you tell a joke, you get a laugh, or a podcast where you know people are actively listening, what was it about writing? that you really enjoy do you enjoy the solace of it no i mean i i i despise the very act of writing the idea of picking yeah. up a, a laptop or a pen and and putting information together it i would rather do anything else i have a suddenly i will have a very clean apartment when i have something due within the next few days like i'll do anything i can and not engage in the act of writing but when i do yeah. there is a uh there's just like a, a release. It feels like there's a huge weight off of my chest. Like anytime I sit down and I know I have something to write and I'll start to go through it, like I, I will walk a little taller the rest of the day where it's just like, oh, well, that was done. That was actually what I accomplished. It felt like my soul got defragged a right. little bit. And walk a little taller. What are you? You're, you're already six foot seven, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the, you can imagine how tall you'd be after you write. <laughs> So, uh, how many jokes do you write in an average day for The Tonight Show? Because it does seem interesting once it becomes a job. I mean, like anything, once something that you love, once a passion becomes a job, it does start to sort of like wear on you and you're just like, this is no longer as romantic. Like any relationship, it sort of falls uh, into the, uh, you can kind of fall into a malaise with it. So, it's a, uh, the requirements changed over the course of my time there. I, I, you asked how I got the job originally. I started, uh. I submitted three times, and the third time I submitted in the fall of 2012, I was mm. working on Comedy Central's Night of Too Many Stars. And were there too many? There just under. Just, just under too under, many? Just barely. Oh, my yeah, goodness. It wasn't false advertising, but it was perilously close. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> too many stars. Yeah. And uh, so I'd submitted a bunch, and uh, that room was run by Eric Sloven and Robert Smigel. And oh, I, yeah. Yeah. And so I submitted again, and they kind of put in a word, like, uh, Luke writes good jokes and is easy to work with. That You'd be surprised how big of a factor that is. Right. Just being easy to work with. Yeah. Like, don't come in and, and be a jerk. So, you, I mean, that's the thing. So, once that you have to put a face to the name. So, once you make that connection, yeah. you let them know you've submitted twice. They tell you to submit again. They know who you are now. And then it all comes together. Yeah. But everything is by uh, submission by request. So, it's mm. almost always going through an agent or a manager. Right. They've hired some people off of uh, Twitter. Right. What do you yeah. think about that? About Twitter? What do you think about people getting hired for actual writing jobs off of Twitter? I know our friend uh, who's been on this show many times, Micah Fox, she does a very, uh, she's gotten a lot of work uh, from her Twitter, and her Twitter is absolutely amazing. If you don't follow uh, Micah Fox, follow her. What do you think about that new phenomenon? Because originally a lot of people were extremely upset that people were getting writing gigs from Twitter. No, I think it's it's just you're essentially providing a writing sample via Twitter. I like please don't go to my my Twitter is Luke X Cunningham. You can go check it out. It's a ghost town. But yeah. There's uh it sounds sort of pornographic it there. It does. Well that's my middle name is X Xavier. Is it? Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Bad, uh, that's a badass name. Luke a, Xavier Cunningham. I, yeah, I, my parents did well on yeah. that one. Um definitely. But, uh yeah you I 
so you start by submitting it's 10 jokes a day for five days and then it's it's a little bit uh, hunger games ish where they start to cut down after the first round right people who submitted those 10 jokes for however many days and they cut them down and you do all that for free all that for free, yeah. Right. So you do the week, and then you get hired there after you met Schmeigel at yeah. the night of too many stars. You submitted your sample. They loved it. Your first few uh, moments there when you finally got signed, uh, you're writing for Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. You must have been thrilled. I was, I, yeah, I couldn't believe it. I, I mean, yeah. the one of the things that was the most fun is i from Philadelphia, so I've seen the Roots probably a dozen times in concert and mm-hmm. paid to see them, and all of a sudden they're your co-workers. It's a little, it's a little strange. The Roots, they had a, that's of course the band that Jimmy Fallon has used uh, since since he began. Yeah, which was very revolutionary for the, uh, the 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 tip. It was not your typical Tonight Show style, late night style band. I I I'm convinced that he is the most talented guy that has ever done that job. Like you think just, so? Oh, just like singularly talented. He can do anything. He he yeah. is. And if you ever, you know. It, He's he is extraordinarily polite mm-hmm. to uh, most of the celebrities who come on. Any celebrities that had a huge feud with Jimmy and Jimmy just absolutely hated. Uh, no, not one celeb. Not one. I love his Neil Young impression. His Neil Young impression yeah. is fantastic. But he, uh, the one thing he will do is he will make fun of uh, celebrities in uh, if he's just hanging out in a room, and he is. Viciously funny. There has to be somebody he absolutely does not like. I will be. I will be more than happy to tell you that off the air. <laughs> oh yeah, what do we got? <laughs> Is it an actor? Uh, it's kind of an actor. It's uh, a reality star. Uh, no, it's a. It's a. It's an actor slash Oscars host. Oh, he doesn't like Patrick. Ha- uh, uh, I don't. I, I got nothing. What's his name? Patrick got Harris. To, got nothing to say about Neil that. Neil Patrick, Patrick Harris. Harris. So Jimmy yeah. Fallon whoa, hates whoa, whoa, whoa. Neil I Patrick don't, Harris. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, interesting. All right, that's the facts. And because he finds him to be pretentious. I I have no idea. But if he would it not like <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris, it would be because he thinks he's a fraud. I mean, I maybe that's why you don't like Neil Patrick Harris. And it could be why Jimmy doesn't either. I huh? mean, I don't want to speculate. Isn't that something? Jimmy Fallon hates Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> and I you know, it's interesting because you're right. I mean, Neil Patrick Harris being a fellow song and dance man, maybe they uh they have a little competitive rivalry or something. I I mean, would you say it's competitive? Uh Jimmy is the host of the Tonight Show and uh Neil hosts uh a show every week that is uh, been protested multiple times because it won't employ union writers. And, really? Uh, yeah. If he had possibly refused to do the show before they hired union writers, maybe then uh, everyone wouldn't think that he's a uh, talentless hack. But <laughs> uh, in the meantime, he. But can every, be, see, this is the thing. You know, that's why I like to hear that Jimmy Fallon is actually. Oh, nice. I, li- listen, I'm not speaking on behalf of Jimmy. No, Fallon. I don't. I know that is that is Luke Cunningham's sentiment that Neil Patrick Harris is a talentless hack. No, but. But that's what I'm saying. Uh, it's very interesting because um, a lot of times people, uh, their, their public perception, what people perceive them to be, you know, if they if they are seen as like super nice or super edgy, oftentimes it's the ap- uh, absolute opposite when you meet them in real life. So it's it's nice to hear that Jimmy yeah. is actually kind. Like, do you want to know the, the, the uh, you know, present company excluded, right. the, the nicest guy I have ever met in comedy, like the world's best dude, Yeah, Anthony Jeselnik, who's... On stage persona is just dark, just right. Morrissey, but with blonde hair and jokes. Just 
a dark, dark guy. And if you hang out with him, he could not be a better guy. Right, <laughs> He's the right. best. Yeah. I mean, I think there is something to that just as a human being. It's fun. You have to have that duality of personality in your life just to make life worth it, uh, just to make it interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Who was your favorite guest? Who was somebody that came? Uh, oh, Artie just, Lang. Artie Lang. Artie Lang would come on and every... Every writer would get very excited when Artie Lang was going to come on. I got to meet Artie Lang one time. I was hanging out with Jeff Ross and his cousin Ed over at a, at a place in the East Village. And uh, I got the joke of my life happened there with Artie Lang. He was hanging out. He had two meatloaf sandwiches. He couldn't get enough of the meatloaf sandwiches. No, uh, Sloppy Joe's. He had two Sloppy Joe's sandwiches. I mean, he loved the stuff and the side of fries. And then uh, uh, Jeff Ross looked at him. We were about to get the bill and... and uh, Jeff said, Artie, you sure you don't want another one? And then Artie said, oh, you'd be surprised. And I said, what is the answer? No. And that really got a good laugh from Jeff and Artie. The highlight of my comedy career happened at a diner in the East Village. The man can't get enough of the food. But what was it about Artie that made him so lovable to you? I just uh, Jimmy would love having him on. And yeah. he, would, he would just tell like the filthiest stories he could and yeah. just get Jimmy going. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he would kill, kill in the writer's room because he's, I mean, he's telling stories about like, uh, he did a show in Las Vegas and they ordered, uh, they sent two hookers up to his room and it just, it's, <laughs> you know, Jimmy is, uh, extraordinarily polite and right. family friendly and, but he's still laughing as hard as possible and <laughs> trying to like transition through the interview. Yeah. And he loves having them on because Artie is on like every couple of months. Do any other late night shows need to exist? Because I agree with you. When you say that Jimmy Fallon might be the most uh, talented person to hold the late night uh, host position, I, I can't disagree other than maybe a Johnny Carson type. But Johnny couldn't really play uh, instruments and didn't sing so much. But he did sketches and was very engaged. Um, do you think any other late night show needs to exist? Well, I think Colbert is incredible. You like Stephen Colbert's yeah. new show? Yeah, I love Colbert's new show. Would you like to write for that? Yeah, if, if you guys are... No. <laughs> They're hiring. They're hiring. Uh, yeah, I think Colbert's show is great. And uh, Are there too many of them? How many are there now? There's like eight of them. I don't... There's Kimmel, Colbert, Fallon... And that then, British guy, the overweight British fellow who took over for Ferguson. Oh, Corbin. 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 Ah, that's a name of somebody who sound, he, sounds like he's always going to gonna mess with your brakes. And then, <laughs> and then you're driving and you don't have brakes and you hit a mountain or something. He's a, he's a sneak. <laughs> I, I don't like Corbin. Yeah. I can tell. He's a sneaky yeah. guy. Yeah. Apparently Ferguson was a real prick. He was? Yeah, that's what it was uh, surprising to hear. The writers didn't like him because he would constantly go off script, which I thought was actually uh, made for fairly good television, but I suppose if you're a writer and uh, and then the things you write aren't being regurgitated, which is really the only um, you know satisfaction you get, uh, then I guess he would be kind of upset. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Was there ever a joke that you wrote for Jimmy that you absolutely loved and just never, uh, you know, saw the light of day? I mean, most great jokes never get told, right? Um, I had one. Uh, it's from. Uh, it was in like May 2013. There was a story that uh, the guy who played Superman most recent, or I'm sorry, Spider Man most recently. What was that? To uh, Toby Maguire. No. The other guy. There's another guy, huh? Andrew something. Okay. And they were like, yeah, he played, uh, There was it, it went viral. It was a video of him playing basketball with uh, some kids where yeah. they were shooting. They were, I think they shot up in East Harlem. And uh, I think my joke was afterwards he was like, uh, um, 
have a great time, kids. And they're like, you too, Tobey Maguire, because he was in his costume the entire time, and it was whatever, it was this Andrew guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was right off of so, when it had been rebooted. Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield. Yeah. Andrew Garfield. And it and it got a big laugh at rehearsal because it was topical at the time. And uh, they were like, yeah, we can't do that because uh, the, he is the same manager as like a bunch of other people on the show. We can't we can't make fun of him for so that. You hit, like, what? That's, what's right. not making fun of him? Just saying some other guy used to have the role. It's not like. Right. Yeah. But that was the. There was a lot of jokes that would be lost in rehearsal because uh, the rehearsal audience is usually like a group of people who didn't get into Meredith Vieira's show that day. <laughs> so they're going to ours instead and they're, you know, like a, a very uh, oblique reference joke that right. would be very funny to a group of comedy writers would sometimes just fall on deaf ears to yeah. a bunch of people who were huge fans of Meredith Vieira and we're looking for like self-help tidbits, not particularly looking for uh, weird callbacks to Tobey Maguire's career as Spider-Man. Yeah, and what a great Spider-Man he, he was, and I love Kirsten Dunst. I think she was great. Yeah. Where's she been recently? I don't know. She's busy. Uh, she is always doing something. So when you, uh, when you, I, I love that joke. Now, did Jimmy ever, because he has gotten a lot better at delivering monologues. Yeah. I watched that Seth Meyers I would rather I would rather be Kurt Cobain right now than watch Seth Meyers. I mean, it's just it's dreadful. It's dreadful television. The whole thing. I mean, he's he's. I think I, almost, Seth, I would go back in time and cancel the whole invention. I think Seth has uh, some beautifully written jokes. You don't like Seth Meyers? His delivery is trash. <laughs> but uh, but Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. Now he has gotten a lot better with delivery. Did you ever get upset with him? Did he ever botch a line to the point where you're just like, God damn it, why did I even write the damn thing? No, I mean, there, there, was, uh, there was one time something happened with uh, cue cards. Like, stuff would get mixed up in production. Like, yeah. I, I don't... If, it, it really is someone sitting behind a control panel like this and hitting certain buttons for graphics at the Luke's right hitting time. the buttons, by the way. Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, you can't see it. He's hitting yeah. all the buttons yeah, on the I, dashboard. I'm improving this. Full out. Um, it's perfect. Yeah. So they would, you know, like they have to hit the buttons in perfect sequence with the joke, and sometimes that would get messed up. So the, I thought the cue cards were were hold by, like you know, like a Letterman had Biff. He was just, yeah. he was just a fella. so that is one of the things that they they hold on to because that is like a that's a pretty sweet union job. Right. Is the uh, the cue card guy, and so we still have cue card guys at our at at the tonight show but there is someone up in the production room in control mm -hmm. hitting buttons for your uh for your monologue jokes or your graphic jokes like if there's right, a graphic right, right. component to it and there was a couple times when those got messed up and i would be incredibly frustrated yeah and then do you go and you yell at the producer the fuck no you are the, the writers are like the inverse of a victorian era child where <laughs> you are to be heard but never seen you yeah, are i mean technically i don't think you're supposed to be heard you're supposed to be read i guess yeah i mean yeah you are you, you, you are never to be in front of a producer complaining really? about anything. No. So did the, so the job when you're part of that sort of corporate setting, you found the writer to be uh, fairly low on the totem pole. So like a janitor, and then maybe someone who comes and fills the Culligan water filter, then a writer, and then somebody who cleans the bathrooms or something like that. Yeah, I mean maybe washes the windows. Uh, fairly close. It goes host, EPs, the roots. And then kind of like writers yeah. and uh, segment producers, and then you start to go on down to 
pretty pretty soon after is whoever is coming in to clean up the three stall bathroom. That oh, wow, three stall bathroom for <laughs> an office of about one hundred and fifteen people. That's great. Well, it's nice to know what everybody smells like. Yep, that's kind of fun. Yeah, the Roots, very talented. They do that slow jam. Uh, segment, which is unbelievably great. They did it with Barack Obama. Did you have a chance to meet the president? I did not meet the president. He did not come on while I was there at the Tonight Show. I did meet his wife. Oh, okay. Michelle Obama. She's gorgeous. Oh, she. I think she's one of the most attractive first ladies since, well, she's she's up there with Barbara. I can't get enough of Barbara Bush. You like the original Barbara? Oh, don't even get me started. I love good old-fashioned traditional so, grandmas. One of the only times I was on the show, I was on the show as a woman. I was oh, dressed yeah. as a woman in a uh, sleeveless dress. And uh, the YouTube comments underneath that are some of the most uh, precious memories I hold <laughs> in my life. Is uh, there? One of the comments was, uh, my my name was Connie in the role, mm-hmm. and I was wearing a sleeveless uh, blue dress with pearls. Stunning. Mm. Uh, Speaking of Barbara. Yeah, yeah, sensible pumps. Not quite high heels. <laughs> uh, in a men's size 16, they got sensible pumps. And the uh, one of the comments was, oh, shit, Connie got that Michelle Obama arms. And I was like, I wanted to reach through the screen and be like, thank you. Yeah, exactly. She's extremely buff yeah. and perfect. Fuck yes. So when you got to meet Michelle, what was the Secret Service situation like? Pretty intense? Yeah, I mean, you de- you had to budget in an extra, like, 15 minutes to yeah. go in that day. Uh, one of my favorite memories of when Michelle Obama was there was that uh, one of my fellow writers, Mike Drucker. Oh, yeah, uh, Mike's a great guy. Yeah. Follow him on Twitter as well. Speaking of tweets that are very funny, he's, he's wonderful. He's great. Yeah. Um, he uh, had forgotten that Michelle Obama was going to be there that day and had brought, like... He brought a bomb. Well, he brought, like... Uh, an original Nintendo, a Super Nintendo, like three video games with it. Like he had a twenty-minute wait to get all of these electronics oh my through God. the uh, the security, and you could just see the guy being like, "Why? Why would you bring this? <laughs> <laughs> why would a thirty-two-year-old man bring all these things to work?" And he was just yeah. so confused by who Drucker was as a man. <laughs> right, right. On the day that the first lady is yeah, there, the nonetheless. first lady's here, and you got to make sure you're playing adventure. Island in right. the middle of the day. What do you? Yeah, <laughs> it's eight hours. Can't you not play yeah. Super Nintendo? You can't. Can't you just you, you know make a ROM on your right. laptop? What are you doing? It's the era of clock boy. You can't even bring a clock to school without getting arrested. And this guy goes in there with what looks to be a um, a more sophisticated bomb than that. Interesting. And Michelle, so when you met her, uh, did you get to like shake her hand and all that oh, stuff? Just like very briefly. Yeah. Um, and it, it uh, her. Uh, brother was the coach of the basketball team at Brown University. Oh, okay. So I just talked to her briefly about that. Oh, nice. And because you played basketball, uh, I was on a rowing team. A rowing college. team. Yeah. Again, I, it, anyone would look at me and be like, "That guy comes from money." But yeah. Boy, boy, do I not. How'd you get into rowing? When does that start? You're in the tub and you just enjoyed it, or what? Yeah. Uh, I uh, we rowing seems right, Mike. Rowing's a, a weird sport to get into, isn't it? It's a weird. Yeah, it's a weird. That's a strictly a college sport. It's I don't a, think there's yeah. like rowing. Here's there's the, no pro rowing. Yeah. yeah. Here's the thing: is uh, Philadelphia has a huge rowing community. It is one of the like bellwether cities from around the world in terms of rowing because they treat the Schuylkill River and this area called Boathouse Row, they treat it like a park. The Schuylkill River? The the Schuylkill River? Schuylkill River. (laughs) Yeah. So the hero in Philadelphia rowing is a guy named John Kelly, who was an Irishman that the British would not let race at this event called Henley because he was a a common laborer. 
oh. because he'd worked as a as a contractor in Philadelphia, and then uh, he so they wouldn't let him race. And then six weeks later, he raced that same guy who wouldn't let him race at the Olympics, and it is still the uh, largest beating that first place has ever given second place in the history of the Olympic single skull, the one person race. But the hook for John Kelly's huh. life is that you might know his daughter, Grace Kelly. Oh, wow. isn't that interesting? Yeah. And his uncle Chip Kelly, who is now with oh, the Eagles yeah. as well. Yeah, there you go. So it's all coming together what a here. Wonderful callback from you, Ben Kissel. <laughs> hey, thank you. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much, Luke. Um, that's amazing. So you got to meet uh, so many stars that you absolutely loved with this job. It must have been difficult to uh, to walk away, but I, I want to understand why. Because you know, a lot of people again, they have this ambition. They want to be a writer, just like you wanted to be a writer. And uh, but what, it's, it's just stagnant. You, you, there's just nowhere to go. Yeah, when I mean, write. it's not. It's you, so uh, late night shows. Every one of them, uh, the writers are all on a 13 week contract. You have to get your contract renewed every 13 weeks. So the stress must be through yeah, the roof. Yeah, it is. It is a very stressful job. Like right. I, uh, the, uh, you know, I'm talking to my agent and manager afterwards. They're both like, "Yeah, we're we, we've had other clients leave, uh, leave these shows, and don't be surprised. You you have something that is." pretty similar to PTSD for a little while after you you leave one of those shows like you just I wake up and you're you're like I I should probably be writing 40 jokes right now right should, and you instead you're like oh I just gotta peel this back and yeah. relax for a little bit um so did your writing does now when you're writing that much like 40 jokes a day does your writing improve or do you at some point just start to sort of Devolve. I, th- I think it's a, like a sine curve. Like it starts and your running gets better and your process gets way better. You get yeah. way more efficient at actually writing. But like my third day at the job, I had exhausted every stand-up joke I had, like trying to right. shoehorn it in. Like, I know this is a punchline. Let me let me get there. And uh, yeah, I mean, eventually you exhaust all those and you go deeper into your creative space and you try and tap into that as much as possible and there were like there would be weeks where i would get 20 jokes on the show where it you know over the course of five days be like i got at average four jokes and then there were which is extremely high yeah it was great and then there were days or there were weeks where i get like three and those those are the ones where you're like well I i guess i should probably start looking at law schools because this is, I'm not long for this job. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like it's very manipulative to do a 13-week cycle. I mean, there's no stability whatsoever with that kind of process. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're they they've kind of been burned frequently enough in the past. Yeah, that they from do people that. just going in and phoning it in and no longer writing and just yeah. taking a paycheck. Huh? Yeah. So you know, that's kind of how they keep you honest. I think that the, what they could do is if they could switch it to like six months, it'd be great. Yeah, that does seem like it'll be nice if they would do that and just yeah. let the writers breathe a little bit. But I see what you're saying about having to make sure that they continue uh, to be under pressure in order to create. Yeah. Where do you think comedy is going as far as the late night structure? We were discussing a little bit before the show about Comedy Central with their daily show and with the Larry Wilmore show, which you were requested to write for. And, uh, and I, I believe that you should not do that. Um, because you should try to stick to comedy shows. Uh, I, it's not like Larry Wilmore asked me to write for his show. No, he my, did. He my, did. My agent was like, "Do you want to submit to this?" And yeah, yeah I, mean, I was like, "I don't think I, I don't think I'm right for it." You're busy. You know, yeah. you, got, you got you got so much stuff going on. Yeah. You and you and Kirsten Dunst are always hanging out, having yeah, a good time. Just uh, God, KD comes to one open mic with me, and next thing you know, there's just all these rumors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Love Kirsten Dunst. Anyway, can't get me started on that right now. We've got to keep on talking. So um, <laughs> when it comes to the state of just the uh, the institution itself of late shows. She was so good in Elizabethtown. Oh, I thought she was. Don't even get me going. What did I tell you, Luke? I, Good Lord, next thing you're going to bring up, interview with a vampire, the whole damn thing's going to fall apart, although I believe she was about 10 years old in that movie, yeah. so 12, yeah. scratch the reference. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just delete the reference there, Mike. Thank you so much. Yep. Um, where do you think Late Night is? I'm I mean, bring it, it, it on. God. Bring it so on was good. so good. Bring it on. Man, it She's like 18 in that one. There we go. Okay, I and love then, her and bring it on. And then Dushku, whatever her... Du- oh, Eliza Dushku. Eliza Dushku. Alicia Dushku. She's incredible in that movie. Yeah. God, yeah. she's great. I loved Bring It On. Mm-hmm. I watched Bring It On with like my 16-year-old cousins, and I was like 22. I didn't know why I felt like a creep at the time when I was 22. I know why you felt like a creep. At 22, you're not that far removed I from high school. I don't think you should be watching Bring It On. You should, uh, Bring It On was for, right, well, for what 13 is age appropriate? What is age appropriate to, to uh, divorce yourself from the Bring It On franchise? If I saw a man watching Bring It On, I'd arrest him. Citizens arrest. <laughs> I was in middle school when it came out. There you go. And you made the jerk-off motion with yeah. his hands, by yeah. the way. I do <laughs> want to point that out. Yeah. Mike Coscarelli spanked it hard to Bring It On. But in middle school, Luke, not as a 22-year-old creepy uncle. Mm-hmm. Good Lord. Does late night survive? Oh, absolutely. You think so? As an yeah. institution, you don't think it's, uh, you know, I mean, it's an internet era. People like different kinds of yeah, programming. They've adapted it's such accordingly. Old- like, they, the main thing that our show would get complimented on, like the writers would specifically get complimented on, was uh, when something went super viral. Right. Like, the second it would be like, hey, uh, uh, Michelle Obama's history of mom dancing. Mm-hmm. When that sketch did like twenty million over a weekend, like you know, N- NBC's entertainment president was like, "You guys did a great job with it," because it's like that's twenty million yo plate ads that NBC can sell. Right. So that's that's where it's going. Is it's uh, interesting that so you, do you think the internet is actually large because it seems like a lot of shows on television are trying to get that internet viral video. Yeah. You as just opposed want- to vice versa, you know. I mean, the internet's more powerful than television now. Would you say so? Yeah. I mean, you see it with Netflix and Amazon. I mean, everybody yeah. who's a I, so I just was out in L.A. pitching this show, uh, which you sold by the way. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. And but the entire time I was there, all you know that that's what everybody wants. That's the dream is to get something on. Netflix. Netflix or Amazon. There is no right. network there. There's nothing that, like, the, I, I wouldn't want a show, a sitcom on network television right now. Right. I mean, it's Modern Family and then uh, the Big Bang Theory and everything else is just kind of like maybe it gets a million and a half viewers mm-hmm. every week. Like, Modern Family does 10 million every week. Do you know how much Mork and Mindy did? In its first season. How many did Mork and Mindy do? 60 million per episode. 60 million? 60 million per episode. That was their average rating. They were one of the top 10 shows of 1977, but they would get. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's insane. Mork and Mindy, 60 million. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. That's not even like a go to. Like, like, I feel like you think of greatest TV shows ever. You think of like. Like all in the family, happy days, cheers, right? Sure. Mork and Mindy's not even. I feel like it's no. not even on that tier. Right, right, right. Yeah, I agree. You know? Mork and Mindy very rarely comes up. I love the name, Mork <laughs> and Mindy. It also sounds like a fun steak, uh, like a deep fried steak. I love the Mork and Mindy. 
Hmm. Maybe not. It also sounds like a dangling participle. Like, yeah. what were you doing? Oh, I was morking Mindy. Oh, what? wow. What were you doing? <laughs> yeah. That's when you Grammar take jokes. That's a good joke. And when you're morking, morking Mindy, that's when you take her out to a macaroni grill. Yeah. I love macaroni grill. So you think that late night with that fancy Olive Garden? What what is the uh, yeah? <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah, macaroni grills the fancy Olive Garden. Yeah, it is. Oh. It's the Cadillac of Olive Garden. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, nice place, good place. What's the other one? Uh, Barabbas. Barabbas. Is I never the, heard of a Barabbas. Oh, uh, that's the. I think that's the one. That there's one that's like, it is the Italian version of uh, Outback Steakhouse. Because hmm. Outback Steakhouse is, of course, Australian, as everyone knows. It's yeah. Australian ethnic food. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And uh, the that is their Italian version. Well, whenever I'm really, whenever I'm craving Australian, <laughs> yeah, I always go to Outback. What do you guys want? You guys want to get Australian? You want Italian? Thai? You Sushi? Want... <laughs> Aussie? <laughs> Why wouldn't you? Yeah. How many viewers does the Late Show get? The Tonight Show. Tonight Show averages around. Six, six and a half million. If they okay. have a huge guest, like when they had Trump on, I think they got to like 11 or 12 million. Yeah. But uh, at one point, it was, no, not one point, for most of the past two seasons, it has been the highest rated comedy on NBC. Right. So, like, everything that airs between 8 and 11 p.m., mm-hmm. we were beating all of them in the ratings every night. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because you, it's one hundred percent because of Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, we got to wrap it up. But what do you think? Uh, who's Questlove number one? I feel like he's a super nice guy, and he followed me on Twitter. I love him. Uh, Amir is uh, possibly the world's best dude. His name is Amir. Amir Thompson. Amir Thompson. I did not know yeah. that. I, I call him Questlove because I'm not close. Um, I would recommend reading his book. Yeah. Yeah, it is so good. Awesome. Yeah, he's like the Vasari of hip hop, where he's just writing about all the other rap artists in the 90s up until today and he's also one of them so it's very interesting to like hear his personal development of like uh d'angelo who was the biggest disappointment when you met him on the show yeah uh, and when you were super excited to meet, you met him. No, you don't really go back. Flat. You really don't go backstage and meet anybody. I mean, Bruce Willis was a terrible guest. But, Why? Uh, he just didn't want to be there, and he was just like very uh, non non engaged about it. You don't, you you want to know who else was actually a terrible guest? Who? Kirsten Dunst. Really? <laughs> yeah. She just didn't want to be there. Huh? Just, she was thinking about you. I probably. You yeah. Know, I mean, listen. KD, get over it. Like, mm-hmm. I know I slang some championship dick, but there's yeah. just there's no reason for you to be coming back around, blowing up my texts yep. constantly. Well, being like, hey, I just want to dangle from this, and you, Spider Man, kiss me. It's like, come on. Kirsten. You're Mork and Mindy and Kirsten Dunst. 12 years past due. So Bruce Willis was a massive disappointment. Maybe yeah. he was dead the whole time, huh? Um, my favorite interaction with anyone who was there was uh, Charles Barkley. Oh, great. I love Charles. Charles Barkley uh, was my all-time favorite Philadelphia Sixer. I grew up yes. around there. And there was this legendary story in our family where uh, our grandmother stopped Charles Barkley uh, when he was on the way into a Wawa, which is a convenience store. Oh, yeah. Everyone knows. It's a chain. It's delicious. You could eat off the floor. And... Uh, <laughs> She was like, Charles Barkley, you you must come meet all of my grandchildren. And 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 Charles was like, man, I'm gonna go into this while I get a sandwich. Maybe if I if I if you're here when I come back out, I'll say hello. She was like, okay, Charles Barkley. And so she sat there with four of my cousins and like my uncle and waited for Charles Barkley to come out. And he could not have been more gracious. He met 
and like talked to my cousins for like 20 minutes and was like talking to them about basketball and like goofing on how they were doing in school. He was great. He was telling them like you should go to Auburn where he went. And so Charles Barkley was a guest on the show 20 years after this had happened. And I was like, Charles, I have to ask. There was this legendary story in our family where uh, you were in a Wawa in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, and uh, my grandmother was there and she stopped you she talked to my like cousins outside of a dodge caravan for like 20 minutes in 1992 he was like wait was your grandmother like a big old white lady i was like yeah was like a little bit with like so i was like yeah yeah yeah." he was like oh like everybody's grandma no i don't remember your grandma <laughs> <laughs> just like just just goofed on me that's a great point. fuck your deadlift shrimp looking at like he just yeah oh my god yeah. i love it you look like rick smith's <laughs> <laughs> very underrated center Rick Smith. Yeah. Indiana Pacer. He was he was a very good very great good drop player. step. Yeah, great drop step. Yeah. Um amazing Luke. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much you for having me. You have to come back cuz I want to get more into your personal life too and cuz I want to uh, talk about the weight you used to be really fat. I used to be really fat and then you lost a lot of weight too. Oh yeah. But anyway, we'll do that in a whole other episode. You used to be 380, right? I used to be 380. What were you? I like the heaviest I think I ever was was in ninth grade, I was probably up to like 260, 265. Oh, you just, just, it's nothing. Uh, yeah, never mind. No, we, won't, we won't have you back. <laughs> it's fine. Kristen, I'm coming. All Jesus. right. All right. He's got to go Mork Mindy over here. Um, all right. So follow uh, Luke on Twitter. LXC. That's no, what I want to no. call you from now on. It's, it's Luke. Luke X Cunningham, yeah. but I'm saying LXC. That's such yeah. a great, those are great initials. Follow Luke on Twitter. Ben, what's your middle name? My middle name is Grant. I'm a BGK. Benjamin Grant Kissel. Oh, the BGK killer. Yeah. It's very, very similar to that. <laughs> uh, you can find Mike on Twitter at Mike Coscarelli. Make sure you do uh, that and listen to his podcast, Social Villains. It's a great podcast. Also, check out my other shows on Cave Comedy Radio, Abe Lincoln's Top at the last podcast on the left, and the Round Table of Gentlemen. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben Kissel. And uh, all right, we'll talk to you soon. Bye.